if I am going to be doing something, especially at this level, especially very visible, I have to be fully all in with my heart and brain in it because it's heavy to, to be out there. And if you're going to be out and about in the streets as a public figure, being recognized is best. If I can control it to do it for work that I'm really proud of mm. versus something else that's somebody else's dream. Good day, listeners. My name is Ajmone, and you are listening to The Sound Bath, a podcast brought to you by Lush Cosmetics. I am so excited for today's episode because today my good friend Hannibal Burris will be joining us. Hannibal Burris started performing comedy in 2002 while attending Southern Illinois University. He was a writer on Saturday Night Live and at NBC comedy series 30 Rock in 2010. He made Variety Magazine's 10 Comics to Watch in 2010 list. He starred on Adult Swim's The Eric Andre Show and was featured on Comedy Central's Broad City. He also played Griff in the comedy movie Daddy's Home and Coach Wilson in the Marvel movie Spider-Man Homecoming. He's performed on late-night television shows hosted by David Letterman, Jimmy Fallon, and Craig Ferguson. He also created a festival called Isola Fest, a comedy and music festival in a venue owned by his cousin called Playa's Palace in Isola, Mississippi, which I had the incredible honor of attending and performing for. Uh, more recently, Hannibal Burris has taken on his lovely rap career using the pseudonym Eshu Tune and released his debut EP titled Eshu Tune. It is an incredible honor for me to have Hannibal Burris, a.k.a. Issue Tune, on this show with us today. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation. Thanks for joining me today, Hannibal. Of course. Yeah, I appreciate it. And making time in your busy schedule. I feel like you know, people know you a certain way and you kind of come off in, in the world as like the title that people know you to have as a comedian, mm. sometimes maybe actor. Do I don't people like say that people actor? call me actor? Yeah, they do. You don't like it? No. Well, this is why this question will be great. I'm wondering, how would you like to identify as yourself? I just like, I like to make things that I enjoy and sometimes people enjoy them. Mm. I do not... As far as acting, because I don't even act that much. I've taken one movie in the past three, four years or something, mm. and I work one day on it. Some people, are you an actor? I'm real particular. I say, I've acted before. Because there's people that work on it in a way that I never have mm. and never will <laughs> that call themselves actors. You know, they train, they've done theater. They've done hella film, you know, and really they get into character. They write a journal for preparation. They think about how somebody walks. I'm Hannibal Burns in a different costume. I'm just, whether I'm a cop or the dentist or this friend or something, I'm not really pushing mm. in a way when I'm acting. So you wouldn't even title yourself as like, do you see yourself as, oh, I'm proudly a comedian? Because I've studied and I've worked and I've tried to learn. Would you ever say that's yeah, a title well, you I've worked as the comedian. I put out comedy specials and really used to, at my 
most passionate and active sometimes in New York do five, six shows in a night type shit and really locked in. Yeah. Mm. Comedy, I spent a lot and traveled the world doing it and yeah. Who's but then every other stuff was a byproduct of that and that more so me pursuing it. A lot of other things in entertainment came, came because up. of that. Yeah. I always say that when we used to do open mics in New York, the people you would see most of the time aside from poets, were comedians coming mm. up to do, like, sets for the youth. It's it's really beautiful because I think Chicago and New York are similar in that way where I would say co- comedy, poetry, like, theater, they're places where, like, you have to be a part of a community even if you're not really, a, when you're starting up, in a different way than now, where social media, I think, allows for people to kind of be isolated in their own experience. But when you're really starting out, remember, as a poet, you had to go to a venue. You had to wait on a line. You had to put your name on a list. You had to sit with the nerves and the memory of your lines. And if you knew what you were talking about, and then really feel an audience. And, like, from feeling an audience, you would gauge whether or not you were effective at what you were doing. And so I wanted to ask, have you noticed the difference between the time you were coming up and having to be in community with people to really feel the scope of your work to now where like social media has taken such a big role in people still, I think, engage with their audience, but it's a very, it's not so immediate. There must be something different that you feel, even if, I mean, I know this sounds kooky, but like spiritually, whatever you may Mm -hmm. say, but being able to see your joke or your line Mm -hmm. in someone else's face, like seeing their reaction and the gestures must have some kind of impact that's different than just sharing something online and getting a comment. Yeah, absolutely. The live thing, it's a lot. We just finished up the fifth of six shows that I sold the session. And it's gone by so fast. Mm. Because when you do something weekly, right after you're done, you got to start working on the next week. You got to get the flies ready. You got to start getting out. You got to, you know, start preparing, advancing. And so it just made, whoa, we just did five shows that fast. And I think it just attracts, even just me putting the shows on, it's created extra momentum for outside bookings and and other things. It's just been nice. In L.A., I was becoming a bit of a a homebody. I was doing some gigs on the road or traveling, and then I would be here and say, wait a second, I I don't do live stuff on the regular here, but I'm in a major entertainment city. What the fuck am I doing? And so I had to, I realized I couldn't say LA's weird if I hadn't really made an effort Effort. to do something in nightlife. Now that I'm doing it, it, it's nice to have that hub. It's nice to have that to work towards. And when I was in New York, I had a weekly at Knitting Factory and I was still doing a bunch of other stuff and touring. And I didn't make it sometimes because I was on the road. Now I have guest hosts, but it was built and it ran. And so having that regular thing was so dope. And then when I would travel internationally, and it was room held hundred some people, but we did it so many times over the years. I go overseas, I go to London, I go to Australia, I go somewhere, and we folks were like, "Oh, I was at Knitting Factory. I was at Knit. I saw a Knitting Factory run because it's it's New York. Mm-hmm. You know, you playing locally, but also people always they're from everywhere, so you play into the world when you play New York. And that wasn't the intention when I was doing it. It mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, oh, I hope that people in you know, when I go to Korea, I meet somebody that yeah, was yeah. at this New York show, but that's what happened. 
Do you ever think about creating something that's like a hub for comedy that will just outlive you? Have you thought about a legacy in, a ve- in some sort of venue? In Isola, we got my venue there in Isola, Mississippi. I do want to start up mm. either a monthly or a weekly there that mm. we just produce and come in every couple months just to, to show face and keep it moving. So we want to build something there for Mississippi artists, definitely, and stream it and, and have that. So we're going to do that over the next few months. We were supposed to start a couple of weeks ago, but then got kind of bogged down with gigs. But I definitely like building because you just, it's one of those things you build it, folks going to come sure. through. They want to yeah. come, especially in a spot like Mississippi, and they're going to bring their folks. They want to, people want to have a spot to show their stuff. Yeah. So it's going to happen. I want to know about, you know, I think people don't fully always know all the things that you're doing that are like really helping a lot of people. And I think you're a very thoughtful friend and considerate person. And I think, you know, you have a really good heart and I think you try to do things that include and and incorporate a lot of people. And so can we talk about why that has become such a big part of this iteration of your life? When you put nice stuff together and people show up and enjoy themselves, it has good results and that can compound. And so wanting to do that at a high level and keep on doing it is because it's nice to see people feel good after you've built something. Mm. And when we went to Isola, did Isola Fest last minute. How did Isola Fest come to be? Me and my cousin own a a little club down there. (laughs) Yes, it is a little club. (laughs) Initially, I I was trying to help him just kind of run the club from afar and you know, we were like, oh, we'll do the digital marketing. And then I realized I can't just do it like that. I have to do something to, to make a splash at the club. And then we can ride off the momentum of that. And so I was like, yeah, I should do a gig. Yeah, I said, I should do a, like a big one night show or something like that. And then we'll, we'll ride off that. And so I was deciding to do a December, I think 13th, because later would have been too close to the holidays. And then it would have given us the time to plan for the next one. So December 13th, we do it a couple of weeks out. I asked T-Pain first. He says, yes, I'm surprised. And I said, you know what? We're doing a festival. Because <laughs> just off of the <laughs> you momentum. You were so shocked. You were like, T-Pain said yes. Yeah, T-Pain said yes, but it's a three-day festival. And it was a fun time. It, yeah. Thank you for coming down and doing it. And it was... Dope to build at that level and do it somewhere where they don't get events at all. You can see how it affected folks and brought a lot of folks to Isola that had never been there and want to use that to kind of be the foundation for building other stuff in the town. It's a small town, a thousand folks, but they got their little main strip and I think there's room to have a little cafe there or maybe a one, two screen movie theater mm. and also having a venue, having, you know, weekly events, building building that performance community down there, you know, and make it where that's the small town that folks okay. drive 45 an hour to. We're going to get another festival in probably next year, maybe Memorial Day weekend or something like that. Well, let me know. I can help. My next question is about SU Tune. Yeah. You felt the need to have a different name for this person or this version of -hmm. yourself. So where did this version of yourself come to be? How did it come into being? I was been working on music for a while and I was just trying to think of a a stage name. 
And I had a couple ideas, but they weren't fully sticking. They felt cool, but they didn't feel like, do I want to be called this in five years? They were ideas for the moments. Wabanja Joe. <laughs> Wabanja Joe. Wabanja Joe. Wabanja is a block in my old neighborhood in Chicago. And then Joe is what Chicagoans call. That's actually a really yeah. cool name. Yeah. Low-key. Wabanja Joe, you know, it might still live. He might come through. He might come through in some other way. It might be a feature, and that might be me with a <laughs> vocal shifter on. Wabanja <laughs> Joe. Uh, but SU... I was trying to come up with this stage name. I looked up Nigerian mythology and Eshu is the trickster god. Yeah. I saw that and it just, it resonated with how I think and things I've done. Mm -hmm. It just felt right, right away. And then it helped me kind of compartmentalize a little bit. I was able to view Eshu as a new act Mm. and view Hannibal as... The guy that's bringing SU to shit no matter what. Mm. And that helped me be able to, you know, have more momentum and work for it. Because then a lot of times people want to get Hannibal in for something. They're like, yeah, Hannibal don't want to do that. But SU will come through, especially at that price. That's, uh, you're talking SU money. (laughs) 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 SU. Hannibal is a, is a jaded industry veteran. Eshu is a hungry, hungry. wide-eyed, open, <laughs> up-and-comer. And he will <laughs> take that $750. <laughs> so now I'm able to work in that place of fun and doing open mics mm. as a musician and performing for six people and enjoying it and doing shows and Losing money on shows, but not tripping about it. When you think about what he represents in the Yoruba, like, tradition and religion, like, when you talk to people who come from the Yoruba tradition, they talk about, yeah, this dismissal of a binary of um, just good and bad, and that the idea that there is a trickster that is a part of sometimes causing hysteria or chaos for the sake of actually unifying people, even as it seems as if it's bringing people apart. Do you see what you do with Issue Tune as a part of like bringing out, because I think comedy in some way, it gets people to make fun of themselves in order to see the ridiculousness of the predicament they're in. Do you feel like now that you're able to do this with music, that you see comedy showing up in a more, like, intentional way? Or does it just come, if it comes, it's just part of Hannibal that comes out? The comedy's still there. Because I heard you rap one time as issue, and I was like, you got bars. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was an immediate, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've, you know, heard the doubts or or whatever, so it's just, Mm. it's something I worked at for a while to even get to, the point mentally to start really doing it publicly without fear. I worked at it a lot. I had these real, you know, these real songs that are grounded or honest and vulnerable. And then I had these songs that are kind of silly. So I struggled for, what? oh, can I do these type of songs and these type of... And then it was just do what? Yeah. Do what do I feel? Just do the, do all of it. 
You're listening to The Sound Bath, brought to you by Lush Cosmetics, and my name is Aja Monet. I'm currently in conversation with my friend Hannibal Burris, a comedian, writer, and rapper. Next up, I want to talk to him about some of the struggles he went through before he started making music. But first, do you feel like you find yourself with issue to being able to really delve into some of the other parts of yourself that maybe your character as Hannibal Burris or the person that people see you as doesn't allow you to? Not to say that I couldn't or it's not possible, but for me, doing the music and not having to work for the lab or not having to workshop publicly, Mm. there's still some element of it. I'll do songs before they're out, you know what I mean? But that song has been worked on in private, and then I get it. I'm getting stuff to my taste. Mm. If it work in this room and I'm playing it 20 times before I take it out. And so it's nice to have that. You know, sometimes with comedy, you can be telling a story to a friend and that can kind of be a little bit of a litmus. But for the most part, you kind of grind it out in front of an audience. So I do think being able to really vibe with something and work on something and believe in it Mm. in private changes the vibe of how you perform Mm. publicly. It's like, already, this is music, this is bop. I Mm. like it. I trust my taste. This shit goes. Mm. I made the beat on some of this beat goes. <laughs> I know what good beats sound like. I feel like I know what good concepts are. And so that's the difference in it is the audience, you know, holds a lot of the the weight in comedy. Because mm. you, it's like, uh, waiting for that. Uh, waiting for that. And so I'm not doing stand-up gigs on a regular, but I'm doing elite banter you know Mm. I'm still doing yeah I still got it but because I'm not doing it in that setting it's less pressurized yeah but the quality's still there but it's not in the thing of them it's in between songs preachers playing keys under it and so their minds is already relaxed by the keys I popped up at the comedy club in New York and I and and I'm like, oh, I don't like how this feels. It's like, ain't no, ain't no music and shit. <laughs> so now I'm spoiled because it is tougher. It's tougher. Mm. I, I stopped at this open mic in Philly, the Comedy John. I did Adult Swim Fest and then I stayed an extra day just hanging out in Philly. And it was this little room upstairs. It had maybe 30 people, 40, but super tight. Just had a vibe to it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go up. And then I get up there and I started doing a little bit of stand-up, but the stand-up, that shit was rusty. And I just, like, fuck it. I just started rapping. <laughs> <laughs> and then it went over because the flow was tight. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, you can't. It was had, undeniable. Yeah. And so it was just, I had to go to that as far as just working the crowd in that moment because I did not just have the, you know, as far as the stand-up in that moment, I would have to prep. That's the thing now. If I had to do it in a club, normal style, I would have to prep and really, okay, this is what I'm doing. I used to be able to just go up and be fine. Mm. But now I have to really think about, because it's not, I'm not, I'm not doing it as much. And so it's not as quick. And so that lack of preparation, sometimes I get up there, and I ain't hearing the, I ain't hearing the music or nothing. I'm like, oof. 
I'm like, y'all do this every day? (laughs) It sounds like you're integrating the best parts of yourself at this stage of your career. And so I think like what you're doing with comedy and also rap doesn't feel like it's necessarily different or that they're completely opposites. It's just deepening your practice. It allows me to do a a bigger show. Mm. And even with my stand-up, if you go back and listen to my specials or my first album all the way up to here, all the breadcrumbs are there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, go look at the breadcrumbs. <laughs> like, it's me talking about lyrics. Yeah. Me talking, about this, me talking about being at a show and they did this, having a DJ and having sound bites, having visuals in the show, having an auto tune. It just feels good to to have the shift. And the other part of it, the unintended result of it is having folks reach out, being excited about it. And then them wanting to do something else that they been putting off or wanting to do. And they're like, oh, I see you rapping. That make me want to do the shit I've been with. That's been really cool. So a question I've definitely always wanted to ask you that I never did was around your name. Yeah. Actual Hannibal. Mm-hmm. What was it like to be named after like a military commander? What was that like growing up? <laughs> To be who you was. are. Was. <laughs> 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 it's heavy just because of the the movie makes, the, it shifted the conversation. And so it's just people's people, so they don't no. know what your experience is. But it's just a weird. And even, it's a powerful name for your parents to have changed, to like, decided to name you Hannibal. Yeah. That's like a very... That's a strong choice. It was a very strong choice. That's a strong choice by John. (laughs) 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 There's so much in a name. I think what's really interesting is names. There's so much in a name and what it it manifests, what it like puts into into fruition. I studied Hannibal some. Mm -hmm. And... It is some stuff I try to apply. And that is a interesting. That is a, like what? Well, I'm a warmonger. No, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but strategically and just in planning, Hannibal, you know, used elephants, mm-hmm. and that was a you know an alternative is the unexpected strategy. It was a surprise, and so thinking about that in in how I work. Mm. And, and how I plan and, and just in how I come up with ideas for things or that part of it. That's really beautiful to hear because you, I mean, I don't know if people know you to be someone who I think is like actually very, I think very poetic. Maybe you don't see yourself in that way. But like even who you decided to take on as the name for your this next iteration of your rap career, music career, and the way that you're taking on this, it feels like very poetic. It almost feels like natural. Like, clearly I wrote this story out and I planned it this way. It feels good. And people have noticed it. Like, oh, you look, you look happy. You look genuinely happy. Because like, I am. Mm. And I was not at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so to know that every day I'm really just hyped about the, the possibilities and there's so much 
to do. It's so much new stuff. There's new ideas, you know, visual video ideas to come up with, beats to make, songs to write. What was the struggle to to do that, though? Like you just said, you know, you weren't before. So that's interesting for someone to have the responsibility to kind of make people laugh or be a comedian when you're struggling with your own sadness. How did you handle that? I think it was just doing work that I wasn't fulfilled by, but look good or financially look good or is very visible work. And then doing that and then having to promote that. And so that like realizing the gravity of that and how that feels when you do something that you're not connected to, but then it's a big project and then you have to go sell it also. You're like, wait. So it's interesting going back full circle because that's that feels a lot like acting. That's the real acting. (laughs) (laughs) The real acting is in the promotion. You gotta do 30 of them in a day or something. Mm. And you, and what? then you find ways. You, you're trying to find ways to escape that feeling, and or you do, yeah, you have to numb through stuff, you know. And so that taught me if I am gonna be doing something, especially at this level, especially very visible, I have to be fully all in with my heart and brain in it because it's heavy to to be out there. And if you're gonna be out and about in the streets as a public figure, being recognized is best if I can control it to do it for work that I'm really proud of mm-hmm. versus something else that's somebody else's dream. And so it's just like, okay, that's not what I, that's not what I'm here to do. That's what some folks might want me to do. And I did. And so it's just now knowing, okay, this is what I want to do. This I wake up hyped. You know, if you waking up like, uh, like, uh, or PA knocking on my door, I'm like, uh, <laughs> It's like, okay, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Mm. If I'm showing up late and shit and I am, you know, start acting out in these ways, it's because I'm not connected to the work. There should be somebody else in those spots that want to be there. I'm not being the best version of myself when I'm doing that shit. And so that's why I have to remove myself from it. Yeah. I wonder what role has being a father played in this phase of you? It's a big part. Initially, I wanted to get the music out before she was born because in my mind, I didn't want her to be like, wait, you talk about wanting to rap all the time. You ain't put out no music. <laughs> so I imagine this- You didn't con- want your daughter to say that to you? Yeah, I imagined this confrontation where she was challenging me on on having this passion and never really acting on it despite having That's all the resources to make it possible and, no, and, and no real obstacles. Wait, you have money, you have time. There's nothing stopping you from creating it and making stuff. And so I imagine her just being really disappointed in that. And so I didn't get it out before she was born, but I did get it out and, and, and starting to do it. That is really beautiful. It's like actually a very beautiful thing to hear. You know how people like write letters to their future kids <clears throat> or whatever. Your daughter was already speaking to you from like the womb. What do you feel like your daughter has taught you about love? What do you want to mm. show your daughter about love that you feel like you didn't maybe feel before? Just being present, being in the in the moment as much as possible in the time. So I just think about 
this work and it does take me away sometimes. And so how to figure out smoothing that part of it out. Mm. I was going for 11 days recently, which was an 11 day trip. But then she's 16 months. So 11 days is like 10 years. Yeah, 11 days out of, you know, <laughs> she's only. I think it's 365 and then four months and then 20, so 485 days. Oh, so 11 out of 45 is a is a strong chunk of days. Fonte had this line on a song. He say, I come back from the road, look at my son, like, damn, when you get a mustache. And is uh, yeah, when you go away, especially these stages, you go away, you come back, and baby different mm-hmm. than when you was there. It's subtle, but she don't be the same as because they always change it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to be different each time, too. Yeah. Probably not as much, but yeah. My next question is in a world where things are constantly. You're constantly being inundated with what's wrong, what's going wrong in the world. And it can feel at times very discouraging. There's also so much possibility and there's a lot of really wonderful things happening and creative stuff that's being made. And so I wonder as someone who's creating in this time and like feeling inspired again by this new part of yourself that you're exploring and creating, what makes you feel most free? When I'm in a soundproof room, (laughs) <laughs> and they would just make stuff and just listening to music or working on music or in somebody else's studio. I was went to T Nava's studio. T Nava's in, in Free Nationals. I think it was our first time. I hung out with him a bunch, but never been in a studio with him. And I played him this song I've been working on, No Whip. And then he heard it and then immediately started grabbing for his shit to add something to it. And TK, who made the beat, he was with me. And so it's a song when I recorded it in June of this year. And I've been listening to it a bunch and whatnot. I put it up on SoundCloud, but I haven't been pushing it yet. I'm happy with it now, but it's still, it's not a finished product, but it's, I love it where it's at. It's going to get better. But to see somebody else react to it freshly and be like, I got a fucking, I got some shit for this. That was really dope to have that feeling. And me and TK was like, oh shit. And he was snapping on it and just, it, it, it really, it, he elevated the song. So moments like that, with the music, in studio, coming up with stuff. And, you know, that's where I'm most free. And, and then on stage with the band, when we locked in. or When I'm improvising, last night we were talking about what we're going to do for the October 30th show. I was joking around with the crowd. And maybe everybody just dressed up like preachers for Halloween. And that's since it's Sunday, everybody dressed up like preachers. And I started talking about my experience with religion. <laughs> and I went to a Lutheran grade school. And so it was kind of me... Then I started improvising this song. I'm like, why am I Lutheran? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, I mean, you can come up with the whole detail of why, like the base level part of it, or the, you can get into the, you know, how do we end up in Chicago? Blah, 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 Jim Crow, jobs up north, blah, blah, mm. blah, like, let it be time that die. Lutheran. But it was just that moment of just, you know, I hadn't really even talked about that ever in front of an audience. Mm. And then going from talking about it into freestyling a song 
Mama and the crowd going. So those type of moments that were organic, and that was the perfect combination of music and comedy in in the live setting. In that time, it was, it was dope to have those type of moments. Is when because then I'm not I'm not thinking about nothing else mm. except for the music for the moment, the crowd in that time, or you know, in the studio. That's why I love it in here because you can't hear nothing else. So when it's bumping, it's bumping, you know. And, and so it's nice to do that. Because there's a lot going on in the world, obviously. And so we're able to really zone into the work. That's when we make the best work. Mm, yeah, that's pre- ultimate presence. Mm. So the last question I have, which is a question we ask all of our guests all the time, is a question about what sounds really resonate with you. A certain, I mean, certain synth sounds. Sometimes I'm just sitting here and just... Sense, mm. just vibe out, and put visuals on, and just play shit. I had this song Veneers. This is the basic. Dum dum, the sound off of the mode. It's actually off of the mode app and not the physical mode, but it's like dum dum, dum dum, dum But then we put it through some remix plugin, and. Then it kind of chopped it, dun, 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 and like sped it up. And so it was just took the one simple sound and then just changed it rhythmically. Mm. And it was just hearing that, that was like, oh, giving giving the sound a whole new life. The remix is a sound we are already liked and you know been hearing for a year and some change. So certain synth sounds, when I was living in Hawaii, the ocean was really just being able to hear the ocean easily mm. or go out there, just that type of peaceful noise. Wow, Hanny. It's been so nice talking to you. You're talking to you too. Yeah, thank you for yeah. making the time. Thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy this beautiful sonic meditation. Mm-hmm.